Welcome everyone to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker. Joined as always for Flyover's Fallout with Santiago Beltran. And before we dig into St. Louis City's 2-1 loss this weekend to Orlando, because there's a lot to look at, Santiago's joining me on location. Santi, you want to tell everybody where you are? Yeah, yeah, Matt. Uh, still at Marquette Park. Uh, we just finished playing a soccer game between Santos and St. Louis City Punks. Um, this started as a Santos wanted to just have a game within its members and it evolved into playing a game against the Punks and uh, we did it today and uh, it was here at Marquette Park that has uh, that um, futsal court um, that city uh, put together a couple of years ago and it was fun. There were a bunch of people, a uh, couple of, a few players, uh, Josh Jarrow was here. Ezra and Dita were also here, so everybody have fun. It was good. That's awesome. What a way to spend a Sunday. And uh, did the Santos win? Yeah, yeah, Santos won by by a lot of goals. I know I'm going to uh, say the final score, but, but yeah, it was fun. All right, well, you're riding high on that win at least. So so a little exciting action as we head into this, but not not too exciting of a game to talk about from a St. Louis perspective. And it, it kind of all started, and I guess, well, let's start it like we usually do with the starting 11. Um, some interesting notes here where Roman Berkey was in net. We had a 4-4-2 diamond formation with Kyle Hebert. Joachim Nilsson made his first start for City. Josh Yarrow and Jake Nerwinski on the back line. The diamond consisted of Akil Watts as the pivot, Edu Leuven and Indiana Vasilev on the wings, and AZ Jackson as the 10. And then Sam Adeneron, Nico Joachini started up top. So, Santi, first and foremost, we were missing, well, we didn't have anybody listed on the player availability report, which is a good news. But the bad news is we were still missing two of our key players in Jabulu Blom, who was suspended for yellow card accumulations, and Tim Parker, who was out for the birth of his baby. And we would be remiss if we didn't congratulate Tim and his family for the birth of Rory Ryan Parker at 3.39 Central Time on August 26th. So, Santi. What did you make of the lineup? Yeah, obviously knowing that Blom and then Parker are going to be out, um, we knew that there was going to be some changes. Uh, great to see Joachim Nilsson uh, making his first start after 15 months coming back from that injury he suffered uh, when he was on national duty with Sweden. And um, I was a little surprised uh, to see Akil Watts um as a center mid not not because he he's not good or anything like that just because he had been playing uh right back um honestly i thought maybe uh basilev or maybe instead of the diamond you were gonna uh, the team was gonna go with a true 442 uh with two uh center mids but um i was surprised that akil watts was center mid um and then um nico joachini and Sama Aniran as a center forwards, and I know we're, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, passing network, uh, but I was surprised by by what I saw from from both of them. Yeah, and I looking at the comments um, from post game and, and during the game, it seemed like uh, everybody was a little miffed at the lack of width that our diamond formation really allowed us to have. And so from from the get-go, it was interesting to have Akil Watts there because, like you said, he was very um, overtly projected as an MLS right back and has seen time 
overwhelmingly at that position. We've seen him uh, appear at times in the central mid, but never really as the lone pivot that I can recall. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's played this position a few times this year with City 2 as well. But at the same time, as more of a double pivot with A.J. Palazzolo, or Max Schneider rather, uh, for City 2, this time gave him an an interesting opportunity that we're going to touch on the goals um, I don't know. There's a lot to make of this midfield in the sense of what it allowed, uh, what it allowed our fullbacks to do on the wide areas. And our fullbacks were very involved in the, in passing. They were two of our three um, leading touch had the leading amount of touches on our team uh, in Jake uh, Nerwinski and Kyle Hebert. But the interesting thing to me is, like you said, the lack of Leuven playing deep next to him or even Indiana Vasilev, those are the two players that we kind of projected would see some time there centrally. But going with the the diamond formation, which we've we've run here recently with Blom as the pivot. And so this the formation itself isn't anything new necessarily. Right. It's the personnel really that that was the kind of the area of concern, especially after seeing it in action. Yeah, and the other thing, um, Leuven uh, was on the left side of that diamond formation, and um, at, at times I, I thought that he wasn't comfortable there. He wasn't doing what he usually does. Maybe it was just my impression, but uh, that's something I saw. Yeah, and the passing network is where it gets really interesting. The passing network, as it as it looks on MLSsoccer.com, you could not tell that we had we were in a diamond formation. If you looked at this, you couldn't tell that Akil Watts was the pivot. The 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 area of the field that it shows Akil spent the most time is actually in front of Edu Leuven, and and Leuven is is centrally right next to Akil Watts. But it's one of those things where looking with your eyes you see one thing, looking with this at the stats you see a completely different thing. Yeah, and th- this to me also goes to a lot of where the issues were is if if you're if you're set up in a certain formation and your game plan is to leverage that formation in a particular way but your area of coverage on the field is is so vastly different and and really not aligning with where your role is on the field you're going to get yourself caught and i i don't want to go straight into it yet but the notion of akil watts playing so high up higher than edu leuven and really in line with indiana vasilev in the middle of the field, close to AZ Jackson as a as a typical position, that is one of the things to me that led directly to the first goal that Facundo Torres scored. Um, we'll detail that in just a minute. But Santi, knowing knowing kind of what this what this network shows in the sense of you had the fullbacks pushed high uh, right alongside our midfielders, and this diamond formation that that on paper shows AZ at the ten. Akil at the six, and then the wingers of Leuven and Vasilev. Knowing that Akil was so high, do you feel that, that that played into Orlando's hand a little bit and left us a little vulnerable defensively at times? Yeah, at times it let um, more space for Orlando to uh, build their plays. And just thinking about um, what City did in the first half, the best chance City had was with Akil Watts, uh, he like uh, he went on the right side and and basically he looked like he was playing like a right fullback and uh, he he had that cross that Nico Giacchini couldn't hit but uh, but yeah that's just an example of, of how high he he was and uh, around that time he looked really comfortable so I just don't think uh, going from right back to um, 
going from right back to a center mid to being the long pivot uh, was good for him last night. Yeah, let's let's look at some stats here because it wasn't exactly a tale of two halves because both halves I saw a lot of similarities in how they played out from a statistics perspective. The first half, the possession was 55 to 45 to Orlando. The XG, St. Louis had uh, just .22 off of one, uh, no shots on target, five total shots. Orlando's XG in the first half was .94 off six shots, one on target. And the game ended kind of doubling that, where Orlando's XG was around 1.5. St. Louis's was at .7. There were 10 shots by Orlando, three on target. St. Louis also had 10 shots with two on target. And that's kind of where where we get into a lot of the a lot of the issues is the lack of lack of options, lack of goal scoring uh, moments that really occurred. So we've got some some shot creating action stats later in the in our pod. But what did you see? Did you see any any overt highlights in the first half as we get into kind of the flow of things? Um. So there was that one that uh, Akil crossed it uh, and mm-hmm. Nico didn't get there. Uh, there was also a turnover that uh, AC Jackson created, but instead of, of going uh, on the 1v1 and trying to make a play, he, he passed it to Nico Joaquin to the right, but he was already too wide and he couldn't get a shot. So those were the two I saw from City. And then Orlando had one towards the end of the half that... Uh, Berkey save off of Maguire, but yep. uh, after the first half, uh, to me, it looked like the game was was pretty open, and I was hoping to see maybe some early substitutions. Obviously, there was one fourth early substitution. It was too bad to see uh, Nico Joaquin's night and and ending early because he he wanted to play this game so bad, and uh, he he couldn't uh, play for the second half. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So 37 minutes is where that really occurred. Um, Robin Jansen gave Nico Joachini a really hard push in the back, sent him down. And it, I mean, it looked from the replay and it looked from just seeing it, it live that he might have separated his shoulder. It was, a, mm. it was a really, really hard, really rough injury as he went down. And if you watch Nico, the duration of the half after that, He's, oh, he's, like, yeah. he's laboring. It was it was really kind of unfortunate and sad to see because, like you said, this game meant so much to him. He wanted to be out there for the full ninety. He wanted this to be his game, but instead he spends he spends about ten minutes of the first half having to run with his arm kind of in a sling motion where he's he's not able to really move anything around. You can see him wince multiple times in the first half. And then as as we came back in the second half, you see the sub for for Thorson. You know, it, it I think Nico probably would have been able to have Im- impact and have a lot of input in this game in the second half. Uh, just seeing some of the opportunities that were you could see how they were starting to build in the first half. It was really unfortunate, though, that that Orlando started things off so early in the second half with the 40, 48th minute goal scored by Facundo Torres. So this is where things start to open up a little bit in the wrong way, where uh, they built from the back after they usually do. So they had a throw in. It went to their back line. Um, This is where I noted that Akil Watts was very high. Our entire midfield Mm -hmm. was very high. They were pressing actively. Um, Torres passed the ball himself long to try and progress play, and then he trailed it as City turned their full attention to the ball as it was working down the right side. 
Um, it was off camera, but you could see that Torres was bursting past Akil Watts into the box to receive the ball. And Watts was kind of ball watching at that moment where he was watching the play as it was developing in the penalty box as he, he tracked back to, to help defend the space around there. But unfortunately, um, their Thor, Dagger Thorlison, easily found Torres open in the box, worked it around their right side. As he worked it on the right side, he found Faguno Torres, and to, all Torres had to do is get himself a little bit more space, and he put it in the back of the net. one nothing. Yeah. Window. Yeah, but he had so much space, and uh, part of that is what you're saying, that that he kept following the play, and Akil Watts uh, wasn't with him, and yeah, he had just so much space when he when he got the the ball and um, yeah he just had to make a move and and find a shot uh, and yeah when you get a, an early goal in in the second half uh, sometimes it's difficult to to adjust and and I I think City found itself in that position yeah playing playing away is hard enough playing away and behind has not been one of City's strong points it's nobody's strong point but City has not fared well when this happened and just a couple minutes later you're seeing some frustrations boil over a little with the yellow cards handed out to az jackson and sam adeneron um az had been warned about the about fouling just a little bit earlier and so that was a no-brainer yellow given the flow of the game so far and then sam i think because it was a no-brainer and and az had been warned at the moment sam went to descent um you know he was he was shown a card himself so that was kind of um everything was heightened a little bit to me. You're getting a little anxious and you're trying to do too much, overextend yourself. Um, and then, and then if there was a period of time where it was the tactical battle, it was substitution after substitution. You do see an exciting moment there at uh, 72 minutes where to me, this was really interesting to see um, Anthony Markanic come on, uh, make his debut and really impact the game. I mean, everything that happened one way or the other from that point on really revolved around Marcanic, um, for better or for worse. But also when we're talking about passing and formations, it was interesting to me to see a little more width um, up the left side with Marcanic pushing up and playing off of Jared Stroud, who kind of moved to the side of Leuven and Leuven repositioned himself after that uh, more centrally, kind of forcing Leuven into a, a better pivot role. Yeah. Uh, which we could argue the impact that Leuven had on that and good or bad. You love Leuven's defensive ability and his ability to track back as a two-way player, but at the same time, being in that position kind of removes him from uh, being an offensive threat to an extent. Uh, but I did like to see what we, I, I like what we saw out of Mark Hanick, uh pushing himself up on the left and giving us that, that what we saw at the beginning of the season with Johnny Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. I really like what, what he did last night and, Obviously, the next day is just easy to say after it's all said and done. Oh, that substitution should have happened earlier. Uh, but I'm not gonna dwell on that. Uh, yeah. He he looked really good, and I think he's gonna be a good option on on the left side. Obviously, Kyle Heaver doing a great job on the defensive side, and and he chooses his moments uh, to go and and support uh, the attack. But uh, it was just great to see Marcanic going all the way uh, into the box and not being afraid to uh, to make crosses or try to make a play. Uh, that's something we, we had not seen in a while, uh, probably earlier in the season when Johnny Nelson was, was doing that. 
the ironic thing is the way that this played out um, and, and the way that we we know Kyle Hebert plays a left back position, a little more defensive minded. Well, that has never been something Klaus has seen uh, when he was injured. It was still uh, it was still Johnny Nelson really yeah. uh, taking that left back role. And so Klaus is used to a left back who can deliver service into the box. And as as luck would have it, just six minutes after Marcanic came on, we finally saw the return of Santa Claus. Oh, that was great to to see. Uh, it's been uh, four months in the making for everybody. Yeah, it, it's been so long. April twenty second to August twenty sixth. Oh, I, I mean, there's what more can you say other than you're just happy to see it? And unfortunately, I think that's kind of all you can say is you're happy you saw it. You're happy no injuries occurred. Unfortunately, Klaus didn't really make a, an impact on the scoreline, but. You know, I'm I I, I told uh, Brendan Weesey this morning um, that I was just happy to see Klaus finish the game with no injuries. He's you, you're starting that return to the progression uh, where maybe he sees a little more minutes on Wednesday, depending on how he's feeling. Maybe he progresses up to being able to start against Kansas City if we're lucky. But then from there on, you see him as a very viable option. And you saw moments in this game, too, where Klaus started kind of you you saw the hold up striker that you you remember yeah. from Klaus and it really happened right away Klaus came in along with Rasmus Alm in the 78th minute uh Sam and Denron AZ Jackson subbed off and then the 79th minute it happened it was Rasmus Alm from Anthony Markanic and the play started with an Edu Leuven forced turnover in our defensive third this was a fantastic move where Leuven just he overran uh the Orlando City player and and took the ball from him it was a fantastic tackle and when he took possession of it, you could see a typical Edu Leuven look up where he looked to see where the furthest man was that he could find to progress the ball up, almost like he wanted to um, have another pass like he did with Nico Joachini the other game up that left side. He wanted to try and send it as quickly as possible, get the ball moving and progress it for an offensive opportunity. Well, when he looked up, who did he see? One minute after coming on the field, he saw Klaus in the middle of the field. Klaus was holding up play in the midfield immediately received the ball, gave it a little flick to Rasmus Alm, and then Alm took it from there. He kind of uh, maneuvered his way into the attacking third, and you see this progression where Alm lays it off to Markanic. Markanic crosses it in for Klaus, and it's like the ball just wanted Anthony Markanic in this sequence. It came back to him an additional two times. After he sent it in for the cross, it was knocked back to Markanic. He recovered it, tried to pass it inside, was denied, the ball fell to him, or it fell to Thorison, really hard to tell, but Markanic took it, and he took it to the end line, and he got the cross that we saw over and over and over on replay, and <laughs> after looking at it enough times, they determined that the round ball didn't fully cross the end line from what they saw, and it was crossed in to a streaking Rasmus Alm near post to tie it up. That was a great play. Obviously, Markanic trying to get there and, and not letting it letting the ball go out. But Rasmus Alm following the play and, and going to to the near post and finishing it up. But um, at the same time, like it took a long time for the play to get reviewed. But yeah. in the end, um, a goal by City. And at that point, it looked like City was gaining momentum. And I started to think, oh, this may be one of those games where. City will turn, turn things around and, and get a win away. If not, a tie is great, but um, it's just uh, it didn't work out at the end. Yeah, and, and the more subs that came on, Jack Lynn, Michael Halliday came on uh, shortly thereafter, just seven minutes after the goal. 
And then, so we had this, we had these periods of the game and Carnell loves to talk about moments, but I, I kind of saw periods of the second half where the first part of the second half, Orlando came on strong and they kept their foot on the gas. And then 70, 72 minutes, we make some subs and we start to have a little more progression, ability to move the ball up. We end up tying it. And then 86 minutes, 87 minutes after the sub, things just start to come apart. And it's and it was a very quick coming apart with the uh, Jake Nerwinski yellow card bringing down Enrique, who it's hard to fault him necessarily for making that foul because Enrique was putting himself into a very dangerous position. So I I, I think it would a better decision would have been to cut him off before he uh, he beat Nerwinski and that's what he was forced to do. So I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like he did the the right thing necessarily. But all things said, at the end of the day, I, I don't fault him for attempting that foul. Um, I, I wish he would have made a better tackle earlier in the sequence, but when that happened, it was the, the ensuing free kick that Anthony Marcanic again, finds himself in the middle of things. He's called for a handball on a Rafa Santos shot from just outside the box. And I, I don't know, I don't know which replay confirmed it for him. I think it was the, the replay from the camera on the field on the opposite side, because if you're watching the broadcast, you can see as soon as that angle is shown, uh, the the ref seems like the, he made up his, his mind and not even a bloody nose from Anthony Marcanic could convince him otherwise that it went off his his face and that his arm was close to his body, but they called it a handball and Facundo Torres nailed the PK and that was that was kind of it, Santi. W- what did you make of that that whole sequence, I guess, from Nerwinski's yellow on over to uh, Marcanic's handball? Yeah, uh, and Bradley Carnell said it on on the press conference that the team could have put itself in a better position to avoid that, maybe trying to play higher and keeping the ball away from Orlando. But that's just how it happened, and it's unfortunate. But but yeah, it's hard to to see. But I think uh, in the end there there was a touch, even though it also touched his face, and. Um, he also said it, and he has said it multiple times. If you are depending on a decision from from the ref, it means that uh, you you didn't do enough. So so yeah, it's a loss. Uh, City almost tied it up with uh, that um, that shot from Indiana Vasilev from outside right. the box. That uh, that uh, Galesic basically he couldn't see it, and it looked like he was going in, but. Uh, it just hit the post, and um, in the end, City couldn't tie it up. But I'll take the positives from from this one. Um, it's a long season. There will be some losses, um, some games that you will learn from. And the positives for me is in Marcanic, also uh, Joachim Nilsson starting for the first time in a long time, and also seeing Klaus back, even though he didn't have an impact, as you said, no no injuries and. Uh, is going to progress from here. So the fact that there weren't any players on the injury report is great. We'll probably see Nico Joachini for Wednesday, but um, it's great to see a healthy team at this time of the year. Yeah, at this point, you, you just hope that Nico's okay because the moment we get one striker back, we don't want to lose another for an extended period of time. Uh, right. we'll, find out, we'll find out early this week how he's doing, and we hope to see him against FC Dallas on Wednesday. But you're right. There were some uh, individual nice moments. There's some there's some fun stats to look at. Like Joachim Nilsson, not only did he make his first start for 
for St. Louis City, but he led the team with four tackles and two interceptions. So he made his, he made his presence known on the back line. He made a really nice tackle in the first half. I know it was very notable. Uh, Klaus played 12 minutes. His first appearance since that injury on April 22nd. So that in and of itself is celebratory. Anthony Marcanic made his debut after joining the club from Colorado. He provided the assist to Alm. But here's the thing. MLS took that assist away. I don't know if you saw this, but MLS, it was one of those situations where they gave it to him. It would, would have been his first uh, career MLS assist. And the, apparently later on in the evening, they rescinded it, saying that it touched an Orlando City player. No, I, I didn't know. Uh, that's, that's too bad. It's really bad. But it was, I mean, it was such an assist worth. Like of all the passes, of all, that was so assist worthy. And it just kind of, it's, I don't know, strangely fitting that Rasmus Alm was involved in that play because how many times has Rasmus Alm, should he have been credited for assists because they were assists right. in, and they didn't get awarded. It, that was really unfortunate. But Alm scored his third goal of the season. That was great to see. Um, and with Alm's goal, this is a fun stat, St. Louis City SC has become the fastest ever expansion team to score 50 goals in their first year. So that's fun. The club had a little graphic on social media today to celebrate that. Um, player of the game, I, I would have given it to Edu Leuven. Uh, just looking at the stats, looking at his impact in the game. You know, obviously with uh, with Rasmus Alm's goal, he's right there for, for that kind of a nomination. Anthony Marcanic, uh, just as much with his, his assist and the way he played. Um, you know, though the handball kind of negates that, but Edu Leuven did all the grunt work. He had four shots, one on target. He led the team with six of those shot creating actions that I mentioned of something that doing something that led directly to a shot. Uh, he led the team in touches with 62. The next highest on the team were 46, both from Jake Nerwinski and Kyle Hebert. Like I said, he led the team in key passes with three passes into the final third with six passes into the penalty box with two. And he tied Josh Yarrow in aerial duels one with three. So he was all over the field, making things happen, doing the, the the nitty gritty necessary work to progress the ball and get it into dangerous spots. It's Hallmark Edu Leuven. He just didn't have uh, the success or really finish anything off like he usually does with set pieces. And and that, you know, was one of the things that was a difference maker. But I thought he had a really outstanding game that didn't probably go as noticed as it usually does. Yeah, yeah. Even though based on the stats, uh, you see, you think he did a lot. Um, like um, just the eye test, um, you would think, oh, he he wasn't his best game. But still, he's always involved. But but yeah, Rasmus Alm uh, came and make a difference. Uh, so so yeah, I think between Lewin and Rasmus Alm, either way, yeah. um, either way is fine. I, I don't think we're going to see any city player on the team of the match day this week, unfortunately. Yeah. But, you know, all, all I'm getting on the score sheet after co- subbing in so late also kind of speaks to just the congest the congested roster that we have now and how you're going to you're starting to see really high level players come in and make differences in that 60 to 70 minute mark where the entire game can can and is being changed. And that's something the city needs going forward. So I'm I'm excited to see things like that, where once you get Blome and Parker back and hopefully have Joaquini available, you're going to see some significant uh, subs being made in the second half that are very high-level, starting-caliber-worthy players that are going to make differences. Yeah, and that's, that's part of having a healthy team towards uh, this time of the season. You have everybody available, and you have uh, internal competition in practice during the week. Uh, for players that are, are looking for spots in the in the game day roster, um, 
example, for for example, Celio didn't make uh, the game the roster right. for for yesterday's game and didn't travel with the team. So we'll probably see him with with City two today. But we're gonna continuing seeing that and uh, just having that internal competition. And then when players uh, go in around the 65th, 70 minute, uh, it's great to see some of them having that impact uh, that will help the team during this uh, last stretch of the regular season. Yeah, one of the benefits of us recording this later than we usually do on a Sunday is uh, the City 2 roster lineup for their game Sunday evening just came out. And sure enough, Celio Pompeu is in the starting lineup for City 2. So seeing game minutes, uh, we look to see him, I, I would assume, on Wednesday as well. Um, if he makes that roster, depending, because like you said, now it's not just a, uh, now it's not just, um, everybody who's available is on the roster who's in the attack. It's, you have to be selective and really earn your opportunity to even make the game day roster. But Santi, let's pivot a little bit as we kind of start to look away and look forward from Orlando. Um, I think it's interesting that this is this Orlando team, as we talk about, uh, just setting our expectations going forward and seeing who we've beaten, who we've lost to so far. Orlando is actually now tied for second in the Eastern Conference. So there's even less shame in losing to them on the road at their home, especially since they're on an unbeaten streak. I think it's up to 10 games unbeaten now in MLS play and or in all competitions, rather. Um, maybe maybe it's MLS play. But Orlando improves here to 12, 6, and 7. They have 43 points. They're tied with the Union. New England Revolution for second in the East, like I said. St. Louis going forward, we're still in first place. So things are still okay. What makes them even more okay is the fact that Real Salt Lake lost in midweek. Uh, last night, LAFC and San Jose also lost. So we're keeping pace on points. Seattle, however, does appear to be winning their match as we're recording this against Minnesota United. So they might pick up a few points on us. First place in the West, 44 points. We're 9-2 right now, falling to 5-6-1 and one away. But pivoting to FC Dallas, it's important to remember that we're 9-3-1 and one at home. We have the most home wins in the Western Conference. So things are, things are still looking up, still trending upward for City in the big scheme, in the grand scheme of things. So, Santi, let's, uh, since we have a midweek match and this is our opportunity, what do you say we do a little FC Dallas preview? Let's do it. All right. FC Dallas, who are, we're facing for the second time after a 2-0 loss in a two-parter of a game, really, that happened earlier this year due to weather. They come into this match eighth place in the West with 33 points on a 9-9-6 record, 26 goals scored, 26 goals against, and they're just 2-6-4 and four on the road. So this FC Dallas team has been through kind of the ringer here recently. Uh, they won this weekend against Austin FC, and the ma- they made their own host of subs that could indicate guys like Jesus Jimenez could see significant minutes against City. So just like City made a lot of subs that you could see with Sam and Deneron uh, subbing out and, and the depth we have, they're, they're looking towards this as well. Before their win against Austin FC, they made it out of their group in League's Cup before losing that wild 4-4 match in PKs against Inter-Miami. I think we all remember that one. That was quite the match. Oh, that yeah. Solidified Messi uh, being able to do anything after FC Dallas was up twice by two goals. In MLS play, Santi, they're 1-1-1 in their last three. So they had uh, lost and drew prior to League's Cup. But if you remember, FC Dallas, I think they were in fourth place or so when we played them in June, uh, the the resumption of play, rather. Since we last played them, they've had a really difficult run of form. They've been 1-4-1 in the lead-up to League's Cup 
having dropped from around fourth in the conference to eighth, just trying to fight for a playoff spot at this point. Jesus Ferreira, still their best player, still their leading goal scorer. He's had some transfer rumors since we last played them, but he's still around, he's still kicking, and he's still scoring goals. He's their leading goal scorer on the season, right there with Nico Joachini. Uh, the next highest on their team, though, is three goals scored by defender Nkosi Tafari and Bernard Camungo. Well, Camungo, uh, he, he was signed uh, at the end of last year, and, and he had yeah. he has had some some good appearances this yes. year with the first team. Uh, but back to Jesus Ferreira, he didn't play last night. Right. Um, they said he was an illness, but as you said, there are some rumors that uh, he may be transferred, so it'll be interesting to see if he is available on Wednesday here at, at City Park. But as you said, Dallas has been struggling lately this is an important thing for them to uh to stay with it, to stay above the playoff line but for city i also see it as an important game first because you're coming from a loss and second because after this game you go and play three games away so it is important to win this game and and less pressure more more freedom to to just go and and try to get points, but um, I think a win uh, will be good and uh, also solidify City into uh, into that playoff position that that we talked about uh, a few weeks ago. We think that with the three points against Austin, um, basically the team is there, um, not mathematically, but at the end of the season, October 21st, if you look at the table. The team in ninth place is probably going to have 43, 44 points. And uh, getting three more will just solidify that position and put the team closer to uh, to, to now securing the seventh position and start fighting for getting home field advantage. So I think it's an important game for, for both teams. Yeah, if you look at this game in, in the bigger picture of trends and form, it's almost necessary to be a win. It's it's as much of a must win as any game we have left, I think, because of that stretch you mentioned going three games away. It's it's going to be our probably our most difficult stretch that we have left. And it's a rivalry game next weekend. Everybody's already starting to look forward to sporting Kansas City going to Kansas to play them. And they're coming off of a win themselves. They just beat San Jose three nothing. And so they're still trying to dig their way out of the cellar that they created for themselves at the beginning of the year. And so you have that waiting for you. And and I believe Sporting's next game is next weekend. So it's going to be interesting to, uh, it, it will be as necessary as anything, I think, to beat FC Dallas at home because A, it's at home. B, against it's an FC Dallas team that has not been in great form. Uh, they may not have Jesus Ferreira. That will be interesting to follow. And and it's, it's the opportunity that St. Louis needs to go into this three-game stretch on a high note. And to, if anything buy themselves a few points that if something catastrophic happens that like we lose all three of these road games, then you have the, these three points to fall back on and you're a little more secure in your standings, uh, no matter how that shakes out. So I, I definitely view this game as, as must win as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully we'll probably see some rotation on Wednesday mm-hmm. and the fact that, uh, Blom, uh, didn't play due to his suspension, that's uh, most likely an option you will see on Wednesday. Parker. Not sure. Not sure what will happen with Parker. Um, not sure if he will take some time off and miss practice, but hopefully we'll see him at least for the second half, and then he'll be ready to go 
on Saturday against Sporting KC. But yeah, I have a feeling there will be some rotation and also with some of these substitutions that were made last night, um, mm-hmm. I think uh, there will be a different team playing on Wednesday against Dada. The good news is a lot of the conversations that we just had lend themselves to that. And so whether it's Celio Pompeu seeing time uh, or or any one of the other attackers who subbed in, maybe you start with Rasmus Alm and maybe Klaus is, is up there able to start. That's kind of pushing the the realistic realm of possibilities here. But if if you don't have Nico Jokini available, I see Sam Denneron and Rasmus Alm as a likely starting duo, of, if anything, up front. Maybe you give uh, Nukvi Thorson an opportunity to start. You know, that could be an exciting moment for him in front of the home crowd. There are a lot of different possibilities that exist now uh, where you're looking at rotation not as um, a necessary evil, but as an opportunity to get guys minutes who you know are high level and can have success. Like Thorson and and Alm, that would be an interesting upfront combination that I really wouldn't mind seeing, and, and I'm kind of excited at the thought of it. But this FC Dallas team, they do pose kind of an interesting, uh, an interesting look. And so I've got some of the advanced stats here just to get our minds ready for what we're going to see on Wednesday. Dallas is bottom five in the league in their direct speed, right next to Inter-Miami and Atlanta United. St. Louis is the highest, and so you're seeing a juxtaposition of styles in how direct the teams play. FC Dallas is 11th in the league in passes per sequence, right next to Inter-Miami again, and St. Louis being the second lowest. So they they pass the ball quite a bit, and they don't do it in the most direct manner. So you can look forward to switches. You can look forward to uh, kind of picking and choosing their battles. And so this is going to be an interesting um, an interesting combat to our pressing style. And, and if they can find as much or more success as they did last time against us, we could be in trouble there. But they're also 13th in sequence time per possession, right next to the Colorado Rapids and just a hair quicker than Inter-Miami. So they spend time with the ball. It's it's the possession, time of possession. It's the the overall sequence time it takes for them to push the ball up the field. And their possession style is to control the ball through the middle of the field up. They usually have greater than 50% possession of the ball up to midfield in the middle uh, as well. So between the channels, as well as they usually have almost 50% possession down the wings of the opposition side. So they possess the ball, they get it in the wings. They'll, they'll try to set up a, a guy like Jesus Ferreira as a trailing nine. He's not necessarily a holdup player like we know. And a lot of us are familiar with, with the national team. Uh, but he's going to find himself among the action during a buildup. And that's going to be one of the things that I think uh, having Jabulu Blome available, like you mentioned, is going to be incredibly important with and an opportunity to shut him down if we can. And then the final thing, Santi, is the PPDA, passes per defensive action. FC Dallas is the seventh lowest in MLS in PPDA. So they will not pose too much of a pressing threat, similar to Colorado Rapids and Real Salt Lake, whereas we know St. Louis is the second highest in passes per defensive action. Um, what do you see from this FC Dallas team that maybe could uh, could pose a problem or just that you're interested in seeing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, so when FC Dallas played City in that game, that, in that game that was played in two different dates, um, like uh, it came down to um, the last 10 minutes and Dallas wasn't uh, very dangerous. And as you said, yeah, they maintained possession, um, but uh, they didn't create a lot of chances. So uh, I'm looking forward to, to City trying to um, press uh, at the right moments and, and uh, creating um, 
creating some chances early in the game. And um, if you score early, then uh, it's a different game for Dallas. They have to uh, to open up more and, and try to uh, to equalize the game. But it's, it's going to be to uh, press and find the moments and, and find the right opportunities and, and then break down uh, this Dallas team that, that uh, it was difficult to break down uh, when we played them between May and June. That's right. Santi, anything else before we call it on this one? Uh, no, no short week. Uh, Wednesday against FC Dallas, and then uh, team goes to um, Kansas uh, to play uh, against um, Sporting there. Yeah, and we'll be back on Thursday night to record, and we'll have a pod looking at Sporting Kansas City out on Friday. Uh, for now, thank you so much for joining us. This has been our look back at Orlando, our look ahead to FC Dallas. It's going to be a fun week uh, as we as we keep Sporting Kansas City in our uh, peripheral out there, but focus on FC Dallas for right now. Santi, thanks for joining me. And hopefully Santos' win on Sunday can carry over and, and bleed into City on Wednesday. And I know uh, that crowd and, and the supporter section is going to be an absolutely amazing thing like it always is, giving our guys the, the necessary impact and, and backing that they need. Santi, uh, get home safe, and we'll talk to you all later. All right. See you, Matt.